Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for Life Over Coffee. I have a special surprise for you all today. I am interviewing Dr. Daniel Berger. He is a pastor in upstate New York, been pastoring up there for uh, two or three years now. Daniel and I go back many years as we have collaborated on videos in the, the past. But I was recently in Redemption North uh, Calgary Church in Calgary, Canada. Did a wonderful conference up there, had 15 meetings in six days. And a lot of those meetings were about medications and disorders. Actually, uh, during the conference, I did two uh, long-form keynote presentations on a biblical perspective on disorders, and then also uh, did another building an apologetic as to why we have a sufficiency of Scripture worldview. As many of you know that when I do a conference, Q&A is an integral part of all of the conferencing and the teaching that we do. And so at the end of the disorder keynotes that I did, we had a, a stack of questions. Actually, people texted them in. Other folks wrote in on index cards. And I went through them the best that I could, but we ran out of time. And so I promised them that I would answer your questions on medication, on disorders, the DSM, and a few others that came in. And then as I was on the plane flying home a few days ago, I thought this would be really good that if I just had Daniel to answer these questions because he is more versed in these things. He has spent the last many years doing deep dive studies into all things psychology, a secular worldview on disorders and medication, of course, running that through a biblical hermeneutic. And as I told the folks uh, in Calgary North, that Daniel is the premier apologist on communicating these two conflicting worldviews and giving a biblical perspective. And also that they have heard enough from me. And so I thought we would just go right to the horse's mouth. Daniel, it's been a while. Well, actually, we did connect in Bozeman, Montana back in July. And so this is the first time that we've uh, communicated since then. And so I, I surprised him with a list of questions. And so, Daniel, what I want to do, I'm going to roll through the questions I'll ask, and then you just uh, answer them. And then we're going to tidy this up and send this to Calgary uh, Redemption North Calgary Church. Uh, but of course, it will go on our Rumble TV uh, show. Uh, it'll also go to all of our other networks as well. And so there will be a wide audience that needs to hear your voice uh, specifically on these important questions that have encroached into uh, the the, uh, the local church today. So first of all, uh, welcome and thank you for doing this. Thank you as always, Rick. It's uh, genuinely my pleasure. All right, so I'm just going to read them as they were as they came in through text or index okay. cards, and 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 we have uh, an hour here. I have looks like uh, 23 questions, and so let's go. The first one is in no particular order. I would really love to understand how is the best way to get your son to stop bad self talk. He always uh, says he's dumb, he's stupid, etc. It's awful. Hmm. Uh, well, I I I think. Uh... The first part of that question is how do you get someone to do anything, right? Um, I think it implies that we can somehow change people's way of thinking, their their self-perception, specifically their identity. And I, I think um, at the root of a lot of our problems is, is uh, identity in itself. So I, one of the passages I like to go to when, when there's an identity 
issue that comes up in counseling, especially in parenting, is Matthew chapter 16. And there is a, uh, when, when Jesus in his own words says, if any man wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And, and there's an unhealthy, if you would, um, self-talk, uh, all of us self-talk, all of us think in language. We all are filled with words and, and obviously having the mind of Christ, letting the word of Christ dwell in us is, is what Christ desires for us to find mental healing. Um, so with that in mind, going back to Matthew 16, he says, the way to find identity is to deny self, take up your cross daily. And I think that's that's uh, significant as well. This is when I wake up in the morning, my identity is in what I do, what I think, what I think I've accomplished, what I've, I think I've failed in, uh, what others have done to me, the events that I've been through, the talents that what, whatever it is. I find identity in everything but what I need to find identity, and that's in Christ. And I think we've discussed um, uh, before, but you know, not to to spend too much time on it. But I think it's significant that four times in that that section, I believe it's verses twenty one and following, uh, Jesus says, "If you want to find your sukos, and it's translated as life twice, and then soul twice, it's the Greek word where we get the word psychology from, the soul, the psych." Uh, he says, if you want to find your sukos, yourself, your identity, you've got to you've got to lose it. And I think what what's happening is the son is actually being honest about, hey, I'm not really happy with who I am. So it's not a matter of changing someone's opinion of who they are. It's a matter of them finding true identity in Christ. So there's there's an unhealthy uh, self talk of just constantly negatively beating self up without being able to replace that with with Christ. But at the same time, there's an honest assessment there that we all should, you know, 30% of, of, of the Psalms are laments. You have the book of Lament. There, there's a reason why uh, there's a lot of negative things in Scripture, because there, there truly is that bad news in, in order to get us and point us to the good news. So I, I would just say that that needs to, that's an honest assessment that he has. We don't try to talk him out of that honest assessment, but ultimately we have to point our children and anyone else who's struggling with identity to Christ. Yeah, that's a great counterintuitive answer. Uh, we would see that as abnormal. Uh, the Bible would say that's very normal. And I, I, I love what you say about honest assessment. And actually, it's the honest assessment of ourselves that should uh, motivate us, compel us to want Christ. Questions yeah. two and three. Now, Daniel, these are the same. And so uh, I'll, let's just do number two in the most succinct okay. way. And then we can tease out because number four is more of a paragraph. Uh, but these questions are somewhat similar. So number two, is there ever a time for meds? And the second part of that is using medication wrong with mental illness? And then I have a longer follow-up in just a moment. Yeah, this could be an hour uh, answer right. itself, right. but um, I'll, I'll try to give very short, and I say short, um, still adequate version of that. Uh, so th there's two things here. One is uh, an underlying presupposition. You know, if I could follow uh, Van Til's uh, presuppositional view, uh, we have to, first of all, define what disorders we have to define what medicine is we have to define and distinguish between neurology and psychiatry and so when when we talk about mental disorder even in itself as you and i have done and i encourage people to go back and look at some of the videos that we've done there are different uh 
types, if you would, of qualified mental disorders in the DSM. So it, it's it's kind of unsafe to make a blanket statement when we're talking about, uh, sadly, dementia and Alzheimer's disease and autism spectrum right. disorder are all considered to be, sadly, within the secular paradigm, mental disorders. They should never be. So I don't want to make a blanket statement there. Uh, I think what I'd rather do is say um, that we have to understand that psychotropic drugs that are that are prescribed for alleged mental disorders, and I, I would distinguish between biological problems, again, that should never be considered mental disorders and sadly are, um, and what what are called phenomenological disorders. They're inorganic versus organic. Uh, that question usually is asked in regard to inorganic problems. So I'm struggling with depression. I'm struggling with anxiety. I'm struggling with delusional thinking. Um, is it okay to take medicine? And so, so there's, there's different ways to define medicine as well. And so just if I could tease that out a little, uh, first of all, there's the mechanism of drug action. So what, what does a drug actually do? Whether, whether it's a psychotropic drug or not, what, what is the chemical within the drug actually doing to my body? Is it restoring health or is it mimicking some, some uh, natural a phenomena that that would be called an, an agonist. Uh, so melatonin is an example of that. Our bodies produce melatonin. Uh, people ask me all the time, is it wrong to take melatonin? I, I would say that our bodies produce melatonin. If there is actually a problem, you know, producing it, certainly take melatonin. Um, but there's another aspect of, of drugs and specifically psychiatric drugs that are mostly uh, uh, antagonists. And that is they're actually working against healthy function of the body. And so you're, you're going to have to determine, again, this isn't even a moral question, uh, which is what the question is, is it right or wrong? Um, and we'll, we'll get to that. I, I, I would start with what, is, what are you actually wanting to accomplish here? And if it's, you're wanting to restore health, well, that's not going to happen with any psychotropic drug. And, and that's not my opinion, by the way, that's widely uh, medically understood that no one's health is being restored by taking psychotropic drugs. In fact, there's, there's not, you, you'll never read anyone uh, actually saying that. What they will advocate is that there's a therapeutic effect, which is two different things. So if your end game is, I just want to feel better, um, then, you know, it may be changing your diet will help you to do that. Is that considered medicine? It may be you know, having essential oils burning in your house or, or diffusing, excuse me, uh, in your house, uh, that makes me feel better. Is that what, you know, it, it may be drinking alcohol. Does that make me feel better? So if we're after the, the phenomenological effect, again, that's why I'm distinguishing between biology and phenomenology. Right. Um, the therapeutic effect and the mechanism of drug action are two different things. So you're going to have to think through a biblical ethic a moral of whether or not taking things for inorganic problems to feel better is okay. Uh, there are some people who advocate Proverbs 31 says that, that, Hey, if you're not feeling good uh, internally, that you can take these drugs. And, and, and I would argue, you know, um, Derek Kidner and Bruce uh, walkie have very good commentaries on Proverbs. And they actually flesh this out that it's not talking about being dependent on these drugs. It's talking about, uh, if you're dying specifically in that con conjunction there, that you're in misery when you're dying, that these drugs become a merciful gift from God. And I would say that's why why they're they're given to us so that we can uh, have pain 
uh, killers, if you would. Uh, and of course, there's even more advanced medicine than than alcohol at this point. But I, I it, as just a very simplistic answer to that, I would say if God says it's His ministry to restore hope, to give self control, uh, to to give joy, um, to uh, deal with anxiety in a supernatural way, like Philippians four talks about, the Gospels talk about. If God says it's his it's his work, whether it's Jesus, the Holy Spirit, or God the Father, then I think we're wrong to to try to to uh, pervert that and take the secular substitute for that. So that's that's going to be, and again, this is something we can really flesh out. But just as a general principle, you're going to have to decide: Does God say that it's His ministry? And if He doesn't, I would say then we look at organic things like sleep problems, as as an example. Um, and this may come up in our conversation, but sleep, sleep, uh, 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 dysregulation, disruption, specifically insomnia is a central feature in, in a lot of what we're calling mental disorders anyway. Um, so there, there's a lot there. And even then, sleep isn't the main problem. There's always a cause to it. So is it a physical cause or is it a, a, a spiritual uh, inorganic problem that I'm dealing with? Right. Question number three rolls right into that. Would you say that it's never appropriate or is appropriate in some circumstances? I, I think you somewhat have answered that question. It continues, I've always been under the impression that medication can help alleviate some symptoms, thus enabling you to focus on, uh, uh, to focus on the wrong thinking. I personally struggled with anxiety and insomnia over the years and did find medication helpful when combined with therapy. Similarly, a friend of mine has a mom who is bipolar, and she notices a big difference when her mom takes her medication versus when she doesn't. Finally, do you ever recommend treating the brain as a physical organ alongside the soul? Now, there's a lot of parts to that question, so have at it. <laughs> yeah, a lot of by questions. The way, there, by right? the way, the, all the questions will be in the show notes so that you can read them exactly the way they were given to me and exactly how I'm uh, uh, asking Daniel. Yeah, so, um, I mean, there, like you said, this is a multi-layer. There's anxiety, there's bipolar, there's, uh, um, and and I don't know anyone who, who would not say the brain is actually organic. Um, so let's let's take those apart um, individually. So I'm I'm just thinking off the top of my head, Psalm 127, verse two. Uh, some translations actually say anxiety in the heart causes insomnia, but He gives His beloved rest. Um, and, or, or some translations say uh, to eat the bread of anxiety. And it's an interesting um, uh, in Hebrew. It's an interesting setup. I actually believe it references Ecclesiastes chapter five and verse twelve. It says in in Ecclesiastes five verse twelve that the worker, whether he eats or not, will sleep, but the, the essentially the glutton or the the rich will not. And it's an it's an interesting uh, concept. Science has found that if you eat late and you eat a lot, especially, uh, you're not going to sleep well because your your body's focused on digesting the food instead of actually uh, sleeping. And I, I think Ephesians 5 kind of keys in on that science, but it also shows that that working, actually physical physical exhaustion that we see in Genesis 1 and 2, again, before the fall, what, what reformers call the creation mandate, is very healthy for us. It's, it's God intended us to work, which then we sleep, which is really healthy for us. 
Um, so going back then to, to Psalm 127, anxiety causes us to not sleep. That is widely understood. I'm, I'm getting ready to publish a new book on, on schizophrenia, as God wills, here in the next couple months. Uh, it's written, and secularists are finding the number one cause of what they call schizophrenia is insomnia. The number one cause of that insomnia, particularly in people that are diagnosed as schizophrenic, is anxiety. And what is causing anxiety is past trauma, distress, or current distressful situations. So in other words, anxiety is a huge, huge part of what, what we're calling, you know, getting labeled as bipolar, schizophrenic, et cetera, et cetera, uh, because it leads to sleep problems. Well, that's exactly what Psalm 127 says. So if you think about the contrast between anxiety and, and why God gives his beloved sleep, because we, we have to figure out our problems. We have to figure out a way. I either have to be the sovereign God and solve all my problems or take my problems to the sovereign God. I, I, I have those two options. And I can try to find other people to, to cast my cares on. I can try to find systems and you know forms of Buddhist meditation, all these things that people are trying. Um, but if I can't, I have to deal with this. And ultimately, I, I believe our two options are I have to be the sovereign God or, or trust the sovereign God. Uh, trusting the the sovereign God relinquishes this need of anxiety. Anxiety is our default. There's no option except to figure this all out. Uh, I won't go into full into the scientific detail, but um, in fact, I'm, um, I've got here one of them. I'm just kind of, uh, this is by Matthew Walker. He's a, uh, uh, I think he's at UCLA Berkeley. He's one of the leading experts on sleep. Um, and he talks about this, what we what we meditate on right before we go to bed, specifically an hour before we go to bed, shows up in the content of our dreams because our our, our minds are making permanent memories. And by the way, if uh, Ecclesiastes five doesn't doesn't say it's just our brains, it actually says our minds are involved. Even even at rest, our minds do not rest. So even while we sleep in the night, our minds do not rest. And so it's it's our brains and our minds, which is why we can remember so vividly our dreams and things. Um, but whatever our content is before we go to sleep. So if we're anxious and distressful, they found that our dreams are actually reflective of that. They're, they're distressful. There's, there's nightmares, night tears, uh, which is why in, in post-traumatic stress, many times then there's night tears and people wake up just scared to death because they've been meditating on those things. Understandably, again, I'm not saying there's anything uh, weird or abnormal about that, but you can understand why anxiety is tied to that. So uh, same with major depressive disorder, nine out of the 12 symptoms of major depressive disorder have directly to do with not sleeping. So whether it's fatigue, I mean, even insomnia is named as one of, one of the different uh, uh, symptoms. Uh, insomnia is actually named in all these different, whether it's bipolar, whether it's schizophrenia, whether it's uh, ADHD, uh, major depressive disorder, anxiety, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, all of them have insomnia sadly, as a symptom instead of as a central feature. And that's actually why they're discovering all the alleged neurobiology and genetics look the same as well, because we're talking about the same problem. We're talking about sleep problems. Now, what has caused those sleep problems varies. So yeah, that's... One of the, one of the cereal right. companies have come out with uh, midnight meals. Uh, they, they're adding a fourth <laughs> meal for those who have sleep problems. I personally try not to eat uh, after six o'clock 
seven o'clock at the latest. Uh, sometimes in our travels, we find ourselves eating late and there's a di direct correlation between eating late and then my body trying to digest. And then on top of that, I'm trying to sleep. What I would like for you to do, uh, first of all, let me uh, just go ahead and give my apology. This is not going, we're not going to squeeze this in 58 minutes. And for those of you who are watching our Rumble uh, show, uh, we will have to cut off uh, at our, our our time limit, but the full video, however long it does go. Uh, you we can, can do it again, it at, too. You can find it at lifeovercoffee.com. Yes, we could have a part two for sure. And I'm going to have uh, links to, to the books that Daniel uh, that has written uh, so that you can have access to them. I did recommend his five-part series on mental illness to the folks up there. And I think your book on ADHD and maybe uh, maybe your book on depression, I can't remember, but I'll have all those books listed in the yep. show notes. Daniel, would you walk through this? You, you, you mentioned a, well, I want to get to that in a second. Distinguish between the brain and the, and the mind. Yeah, um, I think I think it might be helpful just to briefly introduce uh, three doctrines to to kind of flesh this out. Uh, no pun intended there, but uh, the mind and the brain are confounded within secularism, so they do not see those as any any different. In fact, there's a uh, the, the common the, the the working theory right now in secularism is what's called the Bayesian theory of inference. So they they literally believe that our minds are just an inference that our brains make. So we essentially collect all this information like AI, if you would. Uh, and this is actually the mathematical theory that they, they believe. Um, if you think about what they're teaching, they, they actually advocate that we're hallucinating. So everybody's hallucinating. Your soul in their view is a hallucination. Uh, they call it consciousness. They don't use the word soul because that would take you into a biblical framework. So every, Every biblical word has to be changed. And so if, if, if you think about what they're saying, uh, you really can't determine who's hallucinating in an abnormal way if, if sim simply I'm inferring uh, my kind of my perspective on things. And that's a postmodernist view where there is no absolute truth. Um, so they've, they've kind of joined all this theory together in humanism to say the mind and the brain are not separate realities. In fact, the mind is created by the brain. And we do not see that. We see very cle clearly, not just in Genesis, we see in Second Corinthians chapter 3, that God is a spirit and that we're made in that image. In fact, our transformation occurs by that very thing, that those who, who have this hope are being transformed um, into that likeness. So it, it really is a, a vital doctrine, not just for salvation, but for sanctification. It's a, it's a vital doctrine. I mean, why do we go to... to uh, biblical counselors. Why do seculars go to therapists or to psychologists or psychiatrists? They know there's a need to change. And so that transformation in, in scripture is based off of our, our reality that we're immaterial souls that are embodied. We believe in dual nature. So if I can introduce just quickly three doctrines that I think will be helpful to accept the secular model uh, or, or the neo-Kreplinian, some prefer biopsychosocial model, which is kind of interesting in itself, bio psychosocial model they're right. they're introducing a three kind of tiered not dualism they're introducing like a, a tri trichotomy that somehow relationships in the body and the mind should all be uh, included in this discussion which the bible establishes not them but they they actually reduce everything to biology so that's the deceit in this they're they're advocating this biopsychosocial model so the three doctrines first of all would be 
bio reductionism. So they're reducing, they're saying those things are relevant, but they're reducing them just to being biologically caused. So they would say the psych or the mind is, is, is relevant, but we're going to reduce it to the brain is creating it. They would say that relationships, uh, traumatic experiences, et cetera, those are very relevant, but we're going to reduce that to somehow biological, you were genetically predisposed to react to this broken relationship that you went through, this abuse that you went through. Um, so everything has to be reduced. Uh, that's also called physicalism. It's called uh, uh, naturalism, materialism. Materialism, yep. Yep. Um, so that's that's uh, doctrine number one. If you believe in that, you also have to accept biodeterminism. So uh, for Christians, we believe in God's sovereignty, That that even though we choose our our path the lord directs our steps even though the the straw is is chosen by a man god has a purpose behind the different straw whatever outcome is there uh you know we can prepare the horse for battle but the lord brings the victory so we we believe in god's sovereignty we believe that as we choose god is still sovereign overall man doesn't believe that so he has to advocate luck or what what science advocates and i put that in quotes is biodeterminism. Essentially that if you're a criminal, your body has made you into that criminal. If if you're struggling with anxiety, your body has somehow caused you to struggle with anxiety. If you're struggling with deep sorrow, yes, it's, and, and, and I would add environmental, uh, environmental uh, determinism as well. They believe that you can't, if you go through a situation in a traumatic situation, you can't help it now either. You can't respond to that trauma. It has shaped who you are and you have no choice. Um, so th- those those two doctrines, bioreductionism and biodeterminism, lead to the third category of bioreductionism, which is really a eugenic concept. We don't we don't call it de- uh, degeneration now. We call it disorder. So the idea is that you have uh, you're disordered in light of the order of evolution. You have degenerated to a lesser form of evolution, and that really is the entire mental health. Uh, paradigm is that they don't know how to explain what you're going through. So instead of saying this, you're a monster, which they they would never say, because that's what was said in eugenics. Now they're saying you're just disordered. You don't fall into evolutionary theory. Therefore, you're the problem instead of realizing this is our normal human struggle. When it's severe, we don't know how to help you. We don't know how to explain it. So let's construct pseudo explanations and say that's your problem. Um, It's it's really a, a failure. Yeah, and even more so in the uh, DSM-4, it's a gender identity disorder, which is saying that I am the problem. I was sharing this with the folks at Redemption North. And then in DSM-5, they had to change that. I'm talking about uh, uh, transgenderism. And so I can't say that I have a gender identity disorder because that means I have a problem. And so they needed to shift the argument to where I am normal. And so gender identity disorder, that doesn't communicate that I'm normal. It right. actually communicates that something's wrong with me. And so in the DSM-5, they made this slight shift to gender dysphoria. dysphoria. And so now I'm confused, but that confusion comes because of your binary of male and female, because of the patriarchy. And so this, the, the subtle shift in language has moved the problem away from me. I'm not the right. problem. It is you right. causing the problem. And so there's another aspect of this ever-evolving uh, wordsmithing that they're doing just in that illustration from the DSM-4 to the DSM-5 by changing from disorder to dysphoria. Uh, so I wanted to ask about, so there's a sequencing here. Uh, 
if you can give it to me. And so let's say uh, we have bipolar and you were trekking that back uh, and then you got to anxiety and then insomnia. And so you were given a, a biblical psychology as to what a possible cause is to what we're seeing out here on the behavioral yep. side. And so can you just hit those links again from bipolar to anxiety to uh, yeah. uh, uh, to digestive system to there were several things that you mentioned there. If you were yeah. So if if um, in medicine, they they. Uh, there's a field called etiology or etiology, depending on where you're from, um, what country you're from, or even how you want to pronounce that. But which essentially, part of, which which part of America you're from? Yeah, um, it it it, it uh, essentially is the study of causation. Uh, if if I could say it another way, the study of explanation. And so within medicine, uh, etiology is a central feature because you want to know what caused someone to have cancer, as an example. And I think for people who haven't studied out uh, even theory of medicine, there's actually philosophy of medicine, they're, they're not aware that cancer isn't just one cause. So it, if someone has lung cancer, you would think, oh, they must have been a smoker. Well, that that's, again, ignorance on our part. There's, there's a whole bunch of factors. There's exposure to toxins in the house. There's uh, what if the mother was abusive, and so they weren't sleeping because they were concerned about the mom coming in and beating them. And so there's all these variables that kind of can be traced to, to create the cause. Um, and so they have a term called pathology uh, within medicine. And it's a real, it's a simple term. So I'm not, I shouldn't be introducing anything like over anyone's head here. If you think about a pathway, that's essentially right. like, okay, right. here's point B, let's say that's the disease concept or the, the actual disease in medicine Psychiatry, it's a disease concept. It's an idea. Uh, it's a definition. It's a description. Uh, and then point A is what began that process of arriving at point B. So you you pointed out, here's the behavior. They put a label on it. We think the label is actually the problem or the thing. Right. That right. that becomes the etiology or etiology. And in, in reality, there's a pathway. So what, what one of the things that I'm doing is I'm showing from science and no surprise, the Bible echoes it perfectly. I mean, even, even in the construct of schizophrenia, I mean, the Bible talks specifically about uh, REM sleep and deep sleep being a state of delusional thinking, and it even calls it the dream state. So science is now catching up with what the Bible has presented. But you look at, at uh, take schizophrenia, bipolar, uh, even ADHD, uh, all these different things that they've, they've, they've constructed to uh, uh, act as pseudo explanations, they all start with sleep problems. So now we're tracing this back. So psychosis is always caused by sleep problems. It could be medically induced. It could be uh, Huntington's disease. It could be heart problems that lead to sleep problems. So all these correlations, they don't, they, they don't know how to explain, but they all go back to sleep problems that, that lead to psychosis. Uh, there are many people that that have uh, reactions to prescribed drugs, and it causes insomnia, leads to psychosis. Uh, there's huge studies right now, and I can, you know, anybody can Google this and start finding this out. But kids who were diagnosed as ADHD, the actual stimulants are known to atrophy the brain and cause sleep problems. And now many of those children are being diagnosed. Many of those children right. are being diagnosed as schizophrenic because they've had all these sleep problems that have specifically been drug induced. And many psychiatrists are admitting this now. So 
what, what I'm trying to say is if we trace this pathway back, the central feature is sleep problems. The next question as a biblical counselor is what is causing sleep problems? I've already mentioned it can be physical things like Lyme's disease. It can be hormonal changes. I mean, if you're uh, uh, take postpartum depression as an example, if you're, if your baby is taken away from you while, you know, a preemie, this happens all the time, you're going to struggle with anxiety because here's this little baby that you're meant to bond with. The baby's meant to bond with you. You're going to struggle. And then the nurse is waking you up every, every hour on top of it, if you even are falling asleep, you're in pain, your hormone levels are dry. I mean, you're going to struggle with sleep. And so a lot of women go into psychotic states. And when, when, when it's a healthy, and I'm putting that in quotes, a healthy process, they call it baby blues. But when you start not getting sleep and go into a psychotic state and it's not making sense, they call that postpartum depression. Again, you can see how this, this plays in. So there's a lot of physical causes to sleep problems that, by the way, are explainable, they're treatable. But the moment I put a pseudo explanation on, the moment I start calling it some, some constructed construct, uh, now I'm chasing that construct instead of actually dealing with the real problems. Uh, just quickly, there are also spiritual problems that lead to sleep problems. You know, if I've sinned in such a way, like we see in, in uh, David's case in Psalm 32 Psalm 30. through 40, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, he, he, by like people like Ronald P.S., who's a, a well-known uh, emeritus uh, chief, you know, uh, emeritus uh, uh, editor in chief of the Psychiatric Times. Uh, he's labeled David from Psalm 32 as being having major depressive disorder. So, I mean, you, you can see here this pattern and we, we could go through Job wasn't sleeping. You know, Jesus himself, I, I remind us in the garden, stayed up through the night to pray. And he was during that time bleeding out of his sweat glands. He was in such sorrow, he said, to the point of death. He was in such distress that we've we've talked about, Rick, uh, here on this channel. So we have to take into account that it's not all, when I say spiritual, it's not all sinful. But it's also physical causes that can lead us to insomnia and then get this psychiatric diagnosis. Um, So there is a path. And the central feature is always sleep, but then we have to f- start figuring out what has actually happened here. Is it something that needs a biblical counselor or is it something that needs a physician to remedy the sleep or, and if it's a biblical counseling situation to deal with those life issues? Yeah. I was reminded of, uh, uh, of Romans two, the Gentiles who don't have the law do the things in the law, accusing and excusing themselves. And so we have this internal moral thermostat, our consciences that can condemn us I would imagine all of us have seen that in our children. Hopefully we've experienced it in our own lives when we transgress God's law, that we yeah. we feel the grieving of the spirit. We feel the quenching of the spirit in us. And that should create a disorderedness that could yep. uh, disrupt our sleep. Succinctly speaking, I mean, what you're outlining is the superiority of scripture. And I would just encourage people that uh, when you get that, that descriptive label, let's say bipolar, all they're doing is describing a situation, but they're not sourcing out that situation. That's and right. that's why I wanted you to walk through that linkage. And then as I hear you say that, that once you, let's say you get to uh, insomnia as part of what's causing out here, but even at that point, it can 
have tributaries or multiple causes. And so, but the point here that I would want people to hear is just the superiority of scripture because we are dichotomous. We can delve deeper into these problems rather than just slapping right. a label on it and giving someone a pill. And this is something I was I was saying up there that I mean it's hidden in the word medication. Yep. I mean, they are just medicating a problem, which is something that I did in the 70s, except the medication I used was not exactly uh, legal, and it helped me to feel better for a while, but it never solved root cause, but I did not have that kind of analysis insight because I wasn't a Christian. Number four, how does one respond when accused of being cruel because you don't buy into the DSM, but kindly suggests God's Word has solutions? <laughs> um so how do how do you res- how do how do i respond how does one respond yeah uh, when it, maybe maybe there's two answers there how uh, dr daniel Berger well, responds I, and then how we how yeah i, I just i just recently uh uh had two different um responses to speaking i was i just got back from brazil this past weekend and um the government of one of the cities uh, honored honored me by God's grace with with the work that I was doing there. It was a blessing. Well, two months previously, I was speaking to government officials here in New York State, and uh, several clinicians were invited to that event. And one this, of the clinicians this doesn't, this, this doesn't sound good. Go ahead. Yeah, w- one of the clinicians uh, that was there. He he supervises a pretty large clinic. And he came to me after my second session. Uh, we did a four-hour uh, seminar for them. And uh, he came to me after my second session and just really tense, red-faced. And he said, what you're saying is very dangerous. And, you know, I I, I said to him, I said, sir, I, out of all due respect, I, I could just slap a label. I could say, you're a jerk. But specifically saying why I think you're a jerk is much more difficult. Like we can just say, this is dangerous. And so I asked him, could you, could you just tell me specifically, what am I saying that's dangerous? And by the way, I was quoting the leading seculars, like in neuroscience and psychiatry, actually quoting the DSM. The DSM actually says we're, we're purposely taking the word organic and inorganic out because we don't want you to believe in dualism. It literally says that in the new text revised. And so I was, I was quoting the, the DSM. And this guy, uh, you know, says, what you're saying is dangerous. And I said, what have I said that's dangerous? Tell me specifically. He said, well, I haven't disagreed with anything you said. And I said, okay, so now now we're getting somewhere, you know. And I I just tried to graciously walk through, like, I don't mind dialoguing with anyone. We we can dialogue. But when you just immediately start throwing out labels, which is what people who they're having their worldview rocked or challenged, that's that's our human nature. You know, we, we want to set up, okay, I can write someone. It's similar to what psychiatry does. Let me set up a category. Uh, they, they call anyone who, who uh, di- you know, even fellow psychiatrists who disagree with the Kreplinian theory, they call anti-psychiatrists. I mean, it's easy to, oh, they're an anti Oh, yeah, we're not even going to consider what they're saying. They're an anti-psychiatrist. But to actually dialogue takes maturity. It takes skill. It takes knowledge. And that's what many people lack. So, um, I, if, if people just want to throw around labels, that's different than, Hey, I really want to talk through this. I want to understand. So that's number one. I, I really want to find out where they're coming from. 
And for him, it was a fear that I didn't even, I hadn't even talked about drugs. And so then we began to dialogue about drugs and he quickly realized, okay, he, he, you know, that I, I do know what I'm talking about. And I, I told him, I said, we're not even talking about in four hours, we're going to be discussing. I haven't mentioned drugs and I'm not going to today. I want you to understand what's really happening here. And so his, his mind was eased uh, right away. And I said, let's talk more. And he hasn't followed up with that. I gave him my card. Um, but I, th- I think you have to meet people where they're at, number one. And I'm not saying judge their motive, but really understand, do they want help? Or is it just, I, I'm wanting to call you something so I can tell everybody this is what you are. Those are two yeah, different is, things. Yeah. Is this a good faith conversation that you have? And, and right. I recognize that there's some subjectivity to that, but you have to step into how to discern that. It sounds yeah. like uh, there were some complications here where he was struggling with fear, possibly. It is a faith issue on his part for sure. But it seems like uh, there was a good faith argument from him that he was, there was some sincerity laced in his accusations that you are able sure. to tease out rather right. than just rebutting him harshly. And so that would be a good illustration to how, how to respond. Yep. But then you have the other person that it's not a good faith argument. It's it's the X platform where we're just you know, right. dropping our truth. We're not dropping. We're throwing our truth bombs at each other. And so that's more of a gaslighting situation or, you know, along the it, lines of harassment or just trying to score points for our team. Yeah. If I could just quickly add to, I mean, I, I just did, uh, I made an assumption, you know, speaking here that the listener is going to understand what the DSM-5 is, the, the DSM-5 TR, not not the right. the text Texas Receptus, right? The text revised. <laughs> um, the DSM. This is not the Bible. Well, the it DSM, is a Bible. Well, it's the psychiatric Bible, as they call right. it. But right. uh, the DSM five is the the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. And even in that, I just like this. This has taken me years to come to the position I've come at. So I need to be gracious for those. Like it's. Not everybody who hears this interview is going to accept it and go, oh, now it all makes sense. You know, certainly right. when when I was in Brazil, I mean, there by God's grace, there's three psychiatrists that are that are reviewing and endorsing this new this new book. And when I was in Brazil, they're the first ones to go. This is all making sense for the first time. This is making sense. Uh, it's people who aren't, you know, when I say DSM five, they don't even know what that is. They're, they're struggling with this, and I've got to give room for them to actually come to and God to bring them to that place. So there has to be, uh, um, uh, there has to be humility on our parts that are advocating for truth and let God win people. Our, our job is to speak truth in love and let God win them over to, to truth. And that may take, I've seen this happen with people, they reject what we're saying. Two years later, they come back and ask for forgiveness, and they're now, you know, advocating it even better than 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 I could because they've lived certain aspects of that and people are listening now. So, um, yep. you know, it's God's truth. It's not our truth. We're, we're not, this isn't Daniel Berger or Rick Thomas's theory. You know, uh, we're, we're sharing the gospel and the sufficiency of Christ. And I would add the superiority of Christ. I mean, psychology has, seculars have psychology, but we have a superior psychology. And you've, you've advocated this numerous times in conferences we've gotten to do together uh, I, I, I like talking about depression. There's one word that seculars have, depression. Scripture uses over 20 words to describe this very real phenomena that we go through from, from a crushed spirit 
to downcast, to my soul is downcast, to spiritual pain and on and on, and even the word depression, that, that I mean, the scripture is far superior in its description and certainly in its remedies. So I think we just have to be very patient with people and gracious and just keep speaking the truth. Absolutely. Those are two words that came to mind. Our deportment and our discernment really matters. Uh, also, I would appeal to anyone that... I just did an interview with uh, Lucas Miles earlier this morning. Uh, he wrote a book called uh, Woke Jesus. It's getting a lot of reads. And uh, one of the things I was asking him about is uh, which would be your philosophical preference when you're combat combating the woke culture? Would you do it with humility? That's kind of a, a laced question there. Uh, but would you do it with kindness uh, and discernment and discretion, or it, would you uh, emulate some of the harshness uh, of the conservatives on this side of the aisle who are meeting the other side with fire versus fire? And I was really glad to hear his response that he understands what's going on on X on that platform, uh, but that would not be his mode of operation, that he had rather have a good faith a conversation with someone hoping to win them to Christ. I don't think we're going to win people by, you know, yelling at them and being unkind and mocking them and those types of things. And so our deportment matters. And we also have to discern uh, our audience. Who are we actually talking to like this gentleman that you're speaking of here? And so what that requires, though, besides the character of Christ, it requires that we study uh, God's word, and specifically in this field of psychology, what we don't want to do is to go to a conference and hear some talking points and then go out and just, you know, yell right. those out with people and tell them to get right with God and the DSM right. is trash and the Bible's sufficient. There's no depth to that conversation. And that's one of the reasons I wanted folks to hear you uh, at Calgary North, but also many others. Uh, because I wanted them to hear just the years of study and the insight that you have that God has given you uh, by giving your life to this apologetic of of communicating the sufficiency of Scripture the way that you do. Now, by the way, Daniel uh, referenced earlier, we have done something like, I don't know what the count is, like 40 videos. And uh, if you go to our video channel at lifeovercoffee.com and just scroll down, you'll see the word Daniel Berger. And if you just click on that icon, uh, the, all those videos will open up. And we covered everything from suicide to uh, dissociative disorder to PTSD, ADHD, pandas, and several other things. And so there's probably, I don't know, 10 or 12 hours of videos there that you can also watch as Daniel is talking just like like he's doing now, even though this is more long form. Question number five, on one hand, we hear God has given us all a moral thermostat, a conscience, so nobody has an excuse to sin. On the other hand, we say that non-believers sin because they have not been made alive in Christ and they cannot see. It seems like a contradiction, but I don't know how to explain, to explain this seemingly contradiction. The contradiction that they're responsible but blinded to that. I'm, I'm they're saying that to... uh, yeah, right. Um, we we all we all have a conscience, and so nobody has an excuse to sin. But then, on the other hand, non-believers, they haven't been made alive in Christ, so they can't see. Um, it seems like a contradiction. If if, if nobody. <laughs> 
if nobody has an excuse to sin, it seems like the believers have an advantage over the unbelievers. I think that's what the question is saying. I, 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 I think I understand the context, just trying to understand the, the question, but I think yeah, he's it, referencing Romans 2 that, cor- that we're without cor- excuse. Correct. Um, correct. So on one hand, we hear God has given us a conscience, so nobody has an excuse. On the other hand, we say non-believers sin because they have it, they're at a disadvantage because they don't have power to overcome sin. They can't see. They, they're futile in their thinking. It seems like a contradiction, but I don't know how to explain it. I, I, I mean, I would say it's just the difference between darkness and light. I mean, nobody has an excuse to sin, but well, I, our, I, the, our solution is to be in Christ so that we have the ability yeah, to overcome sin, maybe. The, 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 uh, the book of Proverbs, I think, lays it out in, in metaphor as a pathway. And so if you, you think two-directional, there's only uh, you can go against God or you can go for God. Well, we're all born with foolishness bound in our heart. That means we're, we're all faced that way. And it's not a contradiction to say there is an alternative way, but all of us have to be born facing one way or the other. And, and if you take that analogy, even in obviously metaphors begin to fall apart at some point, but let's, let's say that this is a double-sided cliff. In other words, the path it's kind of like the wall of China. If you go off the sides, you're dead. But if you stay on the pathway, there's there's life. But the moment there is no life, now you've entered into, you know, death, essentially eternal life. Well, that's true of, of us. Uh, we're, we're automatically facing an opposition to God. That's that foolishness that's bound in the heart of every child. And when, when the word of God comes, when grace comes, it enables us to have faith. Then we can turn, and that's what we call repentance, and and our eyes are open to truth, you know, to the truth. So I don't I don't think it's a contradiction to say that all that an unbeliever can do is is sin because that that's our we're, we're, our hearts are deceitful. I mean, even as Christians, we're prone to do that. Uh, the battle of if we go to Ephesians chapter two that talks about us being dead in our trespasses and sins. Uh, or you go to Galatians, if you feed the flesh, you'll have the flesh reap corruptions. If you feed the spirit, you'll have the spirit reap, uh, reap life everlasting. So even as Christians, we've got to decide what we're going to feed, which direction we're going to go. We, we have now freedom to pursue Christ, to have our eyes set on him. We don't have that before. And it, it's it, like there's no other option for an unbeliever but to sin, to constantly sin. And it's only by God's grace that we can. So I, maybe that's not the question that's being asked, but that's that's uh, maybe clarifying a little. Yeah, the question was was, was wordy, and uh, when I, uh, which is fine, I, I just struggled with it as well. And so, you, uh, it, it kind of sounds like, in a sense, the first question where the kids having this self talk, you know, that I'm dumb, I'm stupid, according to what the question question yeah. wrote in. I do not see that as a bad thing. I see that as a as a sign or a signal that, uh, well, one, I'm normal. I'm just like everyone else. I mean, Paul would say it this way. There is none righteous. No, not one. There's none that understand. There's none that doeth good, so forth and so on. And so there's a normalcy there, but that normalcy should lead us to Christ. And so the difference between the unbeliever who has a conscience and sins all the time with no hope the only difference between them and you and me is that uh, we have moved farther down this path by the grace of God. 
God has regenerated us. And so we're just like this person, except we have this advantage. The advantage is the gift of salvation that has been given to us. I trust that uh, helps to, I know our answer was a little bit ambling and and uh, but that's only because of of our understanding. We're working with the question, and I'm sure there will be follow up as I send these uh, questions uh, up north to Canada. Number three, can you please clarify? Would you say the DSM medical options help to an extent, as long as we keep the Bible as the primary truth lens? Um, I so I do do not think that they help. Um, the argument is usually made they help for insurance purposes and uh, acting as a language. Uh, so if I say bipolar or if I say ADHD, people know what I'm talking about. Uh, but that is problematic, as I've already said, because it, if, if you're creating pseudo explanations for things that have valid explanations, you're now chasing uh, things that, that are not real and could be chasing things that are real and solvable. So for example, uh, one particular case, um, uh, just a, a, a recent case, a uh, lady called her husband, fell down a flight of stairs in the military, uh, very prominent military leader, uh, three weeks later got diagnosed with schizophrenia. So they know he has a TBI, a traumatic brain injury from falling down the stairs, which is causing him not to sleep but instead of actually dealing with that, they saw that he was in a psychotic state. So the symptoms, he went into the emergency room, immediately they saw he was in a psychotic state, wasn't making sense, he was delusional, hallucinating. And in reality, there was an explanation. Clearly, it was from falling down the stairs, having a traumatic brain injury and not sleeping. So the, the not sleeping, again, uh, is that central feature of why psychosis then becomes evident or apparent. Well, all they're doing is psychosis is the basis of diagno diagnosing schizophrenia. And I would even argue, and many secularists are beginning to as well, even what we're calling mania is actually psychosis. They're actually listing bipolar now under schizophrenia, which is uh, ironic because Kreplin, who invented these constructs, actually said that you can't tell the difference between these years ago. Um, and, and, and we're essentially going back to to unitary madness that, that if there's deceit, we're just calling it madness and insanity rather than realizing there's real problems and real explanations here. So getting uh, back to that, I was just saying, get, getting back to that illustration, all they have to diagnose schizophrenia is psychosis. And that's what they saw. This man is in psych, psychotic state. Instead of actually helping him, now they've labeled him. Well, the wife couldn't actually have access to him. They, they were holding him against their will she had to get an attorney, et cetera, et cetera, and by God's grace got out and is getting treatment for the actual brain injury. But in that particular case, the reason why he wasn't sleeping was because of a brain injury. It wasn't because of schizophrenia. So as soon as I put that pseudo label on, now they're trying to treat him and find answers for schizophrenia. And that acts as, oh, what, why is your husband psychotic? Well, because he's schizophrenic. And that's, that's actually a false narrative. They've created a false narrative that is misleading people and actually leading them uh, farther down a, a destructive path versus, hey, if, if we get to the real problems, we can have real solutions. Um, so th that's why I don't think these are helpful. They actually are pseudo, they're always pseudo. ADHD is not an explanation. It's a failure to explain. 
Uh, it's a failure to explain why a child is behaving that way. Uh, bipolar is not an explanation. It's never been discovered in nature. It's actually uh, a, a redescription of a description. They, they already knew that there was a problem with mania and depression. Every, everybody already knew that. So saying someone has bipolar is just redescribing what was already known. No one discovered bipolar. And so people sadly think this is an explanation when it's a failure to explain. So I, I think it really hurts people. What about, uh, so the question is, can you please um, clarify, would you say DSM medical options help to an extent as long as we keep the Bible as a primary? So what about the mitigation of a behavior to stop the bleeding, so to speak, uh, so that you could provide uh, counseling uh, to help them uh, overcome whatever it is they need to overcome. And so the medication just slows the train down so that you can counsel them if that metaphor works for you. Yeah. Um, so uh, in my in my new book, I actually advocate that if someone is in a psychotic break, I don't mind uh, letting them have a major tranquilizer. Uh, so just for that's the actual medical term or neuroleptic for what is called uh, antipsychotics. So what 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 we commonly hear as anti and this is all part of that narrative. If they have psychosis, we give them an antipsychotic. But what we're not told is what major tranquilizers actually do is block dopamine reuptake, which puts you in a state of sleep. So the reason why I would advocate it is because if a person isn't sleeping, the 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 most a uh, helpful thing you can do medicinally is help them to sleep. So I'm all for giving them an SSRI, which is an antidepressant, uh, which, by the way, is given to people who are not sleeping as well. So major tranquilizers, uh, alleged anti antipsychotics, and antidepressants are given for sleep problems as well. So I'm I'm all for getting them proper sleep. When when we see someone in a psychotic state, it's actually it's actually their body. It's a defense mechanism. It's an indication they haven't been in a, in a sleepful state. And maybe sometime we can talk through the construct of schizophrenia in, in this new book. But we we actually uh, are very good. Like we we go into psychotic states every single day when we sleep, and people don't realize that. And that's a whole another topic we can delve into at another time. But we, we, this is a healthy thing. So when we see it in a wakeful state, we think that's an absurdity. It's got to be an abnormality. It's actually the body saying, this person is not getting sleep. I'm going to force them into sleep. So giving them a, dr uh, a drug that forces them into that, that needed sleep state is very helpful, but just for a short period of time. Uh, it's actually not treating uh, psychosis. It's not uh, fixing any of the problems that have led to sleep problems. It's a it's a temporary thing to get them sleep. I'm all for that. Um, and so that that's where I would say if we're going to call it medicinal in any way, it's just to help give sleep. But long term, uh, it's actually showing that this does incredible destructive damage to the dopaminergic system, which is essential to sleep properly. So if we're giving these drugs long term and we're pretending like their, their real problem is this constructed label, now we're actually creating the very problem that we're saying that they have. And this has been shown over and over again. Um, so I, I would not advocate either label or, or this entire psychiatric system. I think it's doing incredible damage. So 
Hi, I'm Rick Thomas. I'm talking with Dr. Daniel Berger. We're working through a list of questions and we had aspirations that we could do this in an hour. And I think both, both of us knew that that was not going to happen. And that is just fine. And so we're going to close out and just call this part one. Uh, these It's a list of questions that uh, were given to me that I could not get through in a conference that I had in Calgary, Canada. It was on presuppositional truth, uh, laying a foundation for sufficiency of scripture versus the DSM-5TR. And then I did a talk on biblical a biblical perspective on disorders. And then, of course, in our conferencing, we love Q&A. And so we handled a handful of them while we were on site. Could not get to all of them. So I asked Daniel if he would uh, help me to work through these remaining 23 questions. And we have just been making all kinds of progress. Uh, we are down to uh, finish, just wrapped up question number six. And so uh, for those of you on Rumble, there will be a part two uh, next week. I would love for you to uh, chi uh, to, to check out uh, one o'clock on Sunday on our Rumble TV show. And then, of course, these this interview in, in at least two parts, uh, it will be in all of our other platforms as well. Thank you so much and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.